This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. We're discussing some of the big stories here in the state this week. New Hampshire lawmakers are considering a bill that would make it easier for landlords to evict tenants. At the same time, local leaders around the state are looking for ways to create more affordable housing. NHPR's Jen Yoon Han has been covering the housing beat for us, and she joins us to share some of her reporting. Good morning. Good morning, Rick. So, Jen Yoon, under this, this current state law, landlords have to give a, a legally justified reason for an eviction. What are some examples of what's considered a legally justified eviction? There's a set of reasons that fall under this just cause clause in the law. So it includes things like non-payment, a tenant might seriously damage the property, or they break a part of the lease term. So if a tenant does any of these things, the law says the landlord has every right to file an eviction case. But there's also a second category of what would justify an eviction. And that piece of the law gives some flexibility to the landlord for their financial and business motives. So renovating the property, or raising rent. Those are some examples that's included in what the law calls a good cause. And, and so how could this bill change that if it passed? So what we have right now is that the law makes sure that landlords can't arbitrarily evict someone. You have to have a legit reason. And it also gives room for the landlord to do what they think is best for their business. But this new proposal is trying to say at the end of a lease that's longer than six months, a landlord can choose to not renew the lease for basically now any reason. That's what it would effectively do. So even if a landlord um, has done and sees that the tenant has paid rent on time, doesn't damage the property, if the landlord wants to stop the lease when it ends, that would be the end of it. So the bill's sponsor, Republican Bob Lynn, says that should be allowed because it's a landlord's contractual and property-based right to do so. The logic is, you know, when the contract's done, the lease is over, the agreement's done, so the landlord can back out. Okay, so I'm sure that there are landlords here, are, you know, that are supporting this bill. What, what did what, what did we hear from those supporters this week? Yeah, several landlords, real estate agents, they all testified in front of lawmakers this week, and they repeated the argument that it's their contractual right to end a lease when they want. And some said that going through the eviction process takes a lot of time and money to have to prove through the courts that a tenant has actually done something wrong. So one landlord, David Klein, said the bill would help him when there's a tenant that's causing trouble, but he doesn't have enough evidence to go through that process. It's going to be a small amount of people whose behavior are bad, but we can't totally prove it. And Jen what about affordable housing advocates? What did they have to say about this proposal? So there were a bunch of tenants, legal aid attorneys, and housing rights organizers that criticized this bill for two main reasons. One of those people who spoke was Ellen Groh. She previously led the Concord Coalition to End Homelessness, and she said the bill would effectively erode all of the legal protections that tenants currently have that are guaranteed through the Just Cause and the Good Cause clauses, which have been around for decades. Passing this legislation will allow landlords to send their tenants out into this impossible housing market for arbitrary reasons or even hidden discriminatory reasons. So she and others are also saying that, you know, now really isn't the time to make it easier to evict people. The New Hampshire Judicial Branch released a report saying the number of evictions increased by 13 percent statewide from 2021 to 2022. And the number of tenant landlord cases are increasing by nearly 36 percent. Plus, they say with the growing homelessness crisis and the housing shortage, this measure could leave more people with no home. 
But we'll see what happens with the bill. The measure passed in the House earlier this month, so it'll come to a vote in the Senate sometime later this session. Okay, we know you'll be reporting much more on that as, as it goes through. Jenny, let's talk about how leaders on, on the local level are, are tackling the housing crisis. Um, voters in Lebanon earlier this month uh, approving a new zoning amendment or amendments aimed to, to address affordable housing needs in that city. Can you tell us more about how locals hope that these changes could provide better housing options there? Yeah, the city's mayor, Tim McNamara, is a huge fan of these amendments. He says that having these now on the books will make it easier for the city to develop all different kinds of housing for different people in all their stages of life. So that includes building manufactured homes and loosening the restrictions for accessory dwelling units and starting to build specific home neighborhoods that are called cottage communities. These would be a new kind of home to the city. And all these measures as a package come when housing Experts say the Upper Valley is going to need nearly 10,000 more homes to be built by 2030 to keep up with current population trends. So city leaders in Lebanon are hoping that having more development in the works will keep Lebanon keep be able to keep up with growing demand for affordable housing. Yeah, because obviously that's a that's a that's a that's a tall ask. 10,000 <laughs> units. And you've also reported on a new effort underway in Manchester, of course, the, the state's largest city, to expand affordable housing involving community land trusts. So, can you explain that? Yeah, so there are a group of housing rights organizers that formed this nonprofit last week. It's called the Manchester Housing Alliance Land Trust. They're a community land trust. So what that means is that this group of people is going to buy land and existing properties and set the prices for rents to be what they say is very affordable. It's still in the early stages, so it'll take around two years, they say, until they'll have raised the funds to buy up this land in multifamily homes. But the idea is once they've set up this economic model, those units will be affordable forever. And on top of that, tenants who live there would take care of the properties, pay their monthly dues, and then collectively have decision-making power about the future of those units. So folks from the Housing Alliance Land Trust, who I spoke with, say this model can be an affordable and more democratic form of housing at a time when rents are really high and some tenants just want more control over their living communities. And NHPR's Chen Yunhan, thank you. Thank you so much. You can find more of her reporting, by the way, at nhpr.org. It is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with the New Hampshire News Recap. And if you've got some questions and would like to inform our reporting, we want to hear from you. Please email us at voices at nhpr.org. Republican lawmakers, both nationally and here in New Hampshire, are pushing to codify and in some cases expand what they're calling parents' rights over their children's education. The New Hampshire House voted down the latest effort this week, but the debate is not over yet. New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt has been following this story, and he joins us now. Good morning, Ethan. Good morning. So, Ethan, give us a brief summary of this version of, of a parental rights bill that's in the New Hampshire House. Sure. So this is a sweeping bill, I should say, at the, at the start. It lays out a number of rights for parents in schools. Many of those rights already exist. But the pieces of the bill that have drawn the most attention in this week and other weeks are the right for a parent to be informed if they ask if their child is being called by any name other than the name that they were enrolled with, or if their child is being identified as having a, a gender pronoun other than what was recorded when the child was enrolled. So both of those pieces are related to gender gender transitions for children 
And the bills, as I noted, would require disclosure by the school if the parent specifically asked. The bills, as I, I as I noted earlier, they have a lot of other rights. A lot of them already exist in the law. For instance, the right to opt your child out of sex education or specific instructional material and replace it with an alternative material or the right to inspect school curriculum or exempt your child from vaccinations if, if certain exemptions apply. But again, those uh, requirements that the school disclose certain information about a child's uh, pronouns or name changes related to gender transition. That's what's taken the most attention. Sure. Now, and opponents to a parental bill of rights have flagged that there, there are very real safety concerns to students whose parents would might possibly be anti-LGBTQ. Um, does this legislation provide any exceptions if schools are worried about that, about disclosing a student's gender identity or sexual orientation, if that would pose a risk to their emotional or even physical well-being? Sure. Well, it's worth noting that there are two versions of this bill and, and there's two chambers. There's a Senate version, which was passed last week. That version does allow schools to withhold this information if they believe there is clear and convincing evidence that telling a parent about their child's uh, decision to use different pronouns at schools might create a safety uh, issue and might kind of breach the state's um, rights. I'm sorry, the, the state's obligation to um, to kind of to, to protect to the child, make, protect the child. Exactly. Yeah. The House version um, qualified that a little bit more than the Senate version has. The House version said that if there is a suspicion of physical abuse against a child or potential physical abuse, then the school can withhold the information. But the House stipulated that potential or actual psychological or emotional injury to a child from a parent's actual threatened or anticipated reaction to learning this information is not enough to stop the school from passing on the information. Um, and so anger, disappointment, sadness, disapproval, those are reactions that if a, an educator believes that the parent will have those reactions, it's not enough to stop them from telling the parent in the version of the, of the bill that came before the House this week. That version, as you noted, was voted down um, but it does indicate a, a difference in the way that the two chambers are looking at this. Now, what did lawmakers hear from the public this week, Ethan? I'm sure there were many parents who showed up to testify. Yeah. So there, there's there's been fierce debate on, on kind of both sides. On one side, you have parents who say that this is information that that they are entitled to if if the if the school knows about some about a their child's attempts at gender transition or uh, uses of different pronouns, that that's something that is a family issue. And that's kind of the argument that you've heard from those parents. But there are also parents uh, who disagree. And there are LGBTQ advocates who disagree and say that the conversations that that children have in schools at this period are often really valuable. And they often help the child prepare themselves to come out to their parents um, or to have those conversations. And that those that that's why that those relationships need to be protected. That's sort of the argument that's coming from teachers unions and LGBTQ advocates. And also trans students themselves. I've talked to some trans students, high school students, who said that the hardest part of coming out, especially when they were exploring their gender transition, was not coming out to their friends, not coming out to their teachers. It was coming out to their parents. And a lot of them said that the confidential relationships that they had with parents allowed them to prepare themselves to do that. Some that I talked to still haven't come out to their parents. They're seniors in high school and they're worried about how their parents will react. Others did, but they 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 did it in a very careful way under the guidance of other people that they talked to. So that is the argument from people that yeah. the, the that parents shouldn't necessarily be told immediately. 
Now, a House committee did vote to, to table this bill. The House passed a similar proposal last week. Where, where does where does this all leave the debate right now? Well, as I noted, the debate this week was fierce. And obviously, this is uh, the kind of debate that is not going to leave many people in the middle. You have, uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, the rights of parents. You have, on the other hand, the rights of trans students. And it's really hard to, to legislate so that one right is upheld while another right is also respected. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, the we're, we can expect to see this debate again and again. The, as I noted, the Senate passed this bill. So while the House tabled the bill, their version of the bill this week, the Senate version of the bill is guaranteed to come over to the House so we're guaranteed to have at least one debate again. And this week was a scramble for both parties to fill seats. Uh, every single vote counted. It was a five vote margin. And so we're going to see the same thing happen in a few weeks with the Senate version of the bill, the same debates and the same nail biting yeah. <laughs> um, neck and neck conclusion. Right. OK, well, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate that, Ethan. Ethan, De- be Ethan DeWitt, there was a lot of news out of the state house this week, by the way. The House voted to codify abortion rights and remove penalties from the state's 24-week abortion ban. And there was a debate over whether to honor the old man of the mountain who fell 20 years ago with a day of remembrance. You'll find those stories and much more by visiting nhpr.org. And you'll find much more of Ethan's work by visiting newhampshirebulletin.com. We also suggest you check out the New Hampshire News Quiz. It's a quick, fun, and informative way to test your knowledge of the week's news. Sign up to get the quiz emailed to you or check it out fresh every Thursday evening. It's fresh right now at the website nhpr.org quiz. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR.